Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome. Hope you were relatively dry on the way in. That was a little bit of a shower. Glad you're here. So excited to see you. Uh, you see the communion elements uh, here in the front. Today is World Communion Sunday. So Christians, followers of Jesus all over the world are celebrating the sacrament of communion today. And so we will enjoin hundreds of millions of people and we will celebrate this meal as well at the end today. So as we're going through this message this morning, I hope you'll be preparing your hearts for that. We are beginning a new series today on divine direction. We are taking our cues from uh, another book by Craig Groeschel called Divine Direction. And it is a uh, really practical approach to understanding God's will for our lives. It is hands down easily the most frequently raised question that Christians have, followers of Jesus have in their day-to-day and season-to-season lives, which is, what does God want me to do? What is the plan of God for my life? And it's a very important question, and it's frequently asked. So we're going to lay some foundation today, build some philosophy around this subject, and I think it'll be practical and meaningful to you. We've chosen as our text this morning from the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first seven verses there from that chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project the word words on the screen. And our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thank you for doing that as you're able. This is the Apostle Paul now speaking to the church at Thessalonica and indeed to us. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know that what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will. Now that's unusual to find this in the scripture. It's a direct statement. This is God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And may God inspire and instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now let me put this statement on the screen, see if you agree. The decisions we make today determines the stories we tell tomorrow. You agree? The decisions we make today create the narrative of our lives tomorrow. I I think so, yeah. Uh, Essentially, who we are today, who we are becoming in our tomorrows, the influence we may have, or the lack thereof, is dependent on the decisions we make every day because they reverberate, don't they? They have effect. They follow us everywhere we go. And let's be honest, not every one of us are great decision makers. Have you ever made a bad decision? Yeah, we all have, right? Uh, How about this? Have you ever made a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion? That's not good, is it? Yeah, not good. Maybe you lost your temper at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Maybe you did that today, coming to church. It started raining. You got upset. You said to your kids in the back seat, if you touch her one more time, I'm going to strangle you. You know, by the time you got here, you know, shape up. We're going to worship Jesus. (laughs) You're already at the edge of it. 
a lot of times we make decisions that we regret. For example, some of us dated people that if we had it to do over again, we wouldn't date that person, or we made a big purchase. Uh, lots of people have experienced buyer's remorse, you know, from a big decision to make a big purchase. Uh, or maybe you made a move that, that you later regretted. You know, you just were seduced by that extra 5000 a year, and so you, you relocated and wondered why afterwards. Yeah. We end up regretting so many decisions. Maybe some of you were raised in the South. Maybe you heard yourself at one point, maybe as a young person say, hey, everybody, watch this. <laughs> and, you, and you ended up on Funniest Home Videos, you know, as an example of how not to climb a tree or something like that. Yeah. Some of you right now are ha- in the midst of significant decisions. Maybe you're a high school senior and you're trying to figure out which college. Maybe you're in college trying to figure out a major. Maybe you're dating someone, you're wondering if this is the right one, you know, I, I like this person a lot, but I see some issues and I wonder maybe there's someone better. Uh, maybe you're in a moment where you're trying to decide about a new job, it's been offered to you, should I take it or not? Should I buy a new car now or wait until a more appropriate time? We have two kids, should we go for the third? It's a big decision. Or should we go to the doctor, get our shots? Something you should be aware of is the younger you are in today's culture, the the more difficult time you you will find in making big decisions. This is generally true. It may not specifically true in your case, but generally it's true that millennials and Generation Zers, these the the emerging generations in our culture right now, are finding it more and more difficult to make commitments and to weigh into major decisions. And so there are all kinds of delaying uh, signals and points to indicate that that's true. What I've read, there's three basic reasons why uh, emerging generations, the youngest among us, are having trouble with these kinds of moments. One is that there's too many options. You know, it's kind of the Netflix syndrome. You know, there's so many choices out there, it's hard to pick one, so you just get paralyzed by it. You don't pick any. And this can happen to us. You know, when I graduated from high school back in the day, there were two options. You either went to college or you went to work. Today, you can go to college online. You can go traveling for a while. You can start a business. You can be a podcaster and make money that way. Maybe you can hit it big on YouTube uh, or maybe just move into your mother's basement. None of those options were available back in the day when I came out of school. So you have too many options, so it causes people to get confused and to hesitate. The second thing I'm reading is that there's too much structure. Now think about that. Uh, Today's families are so completely booked and scheduled all day, every day, ranging from we got to get up and get to daycare or to school, and then it's the sports or it's the dance and it's the music lessons and the school activities, the social functions, the church events, all of those things combined. There literally is no actual free time for kids. And you say, well, structure is good for kids, except in this category. Uh, And again, referring to back in my day, this is a long time ago, back in my day, at least in the summertime, I may get up. I grew up in a small town. I would, would, you know, get up, put some, throw some clothes on, eat a little breakfast, leave the house. I may not come back to the house until that night. You know, my friends and I, we would just be out free ranging, kind of making it up as we go you know, getting in trouble a lot and so forth, but we were just out there and making it up and making our own decisions. And all of that independent time 
included the opportunity to cultivate a decision-making capacity. Apparently, this isn't something that human beings have. It has to be developed. And because modern families are so highly structured, it doesn't allow for that freedom to cultivate that skill in people's lives. And so when these kids reach adulthood, as they are, uh, it's hard for them to make decisions. The last thing that I'm hearing is that there's too high of expectations, too many options, too much structure, too high of expectations. This is a product of social media that's created a platform for false narratives implying a standard of perfection so that when people, people uh, post their stories, their lives, their narratives on Facebook and other platforms, uh, the impression that's made is that my life is all together. It's all tidy. It's all perfect. And so it's just the best pictures, it's the best stories, it's the, it's the, best, uh, the best sentiments of all the above. And so people uh, observing this, this, uh, this post gives, gets the impression that your life is perfect and people know their life is not. So here's what happens. Young people today, because of these reasons, come to a moment where they're at the crossroads and they try to make a decision and they're paralyzed for the fear of not making a perfect decision. And so... Unwilling to make a perfect decision, no decision is made at all. And what we're learning is that sometimes an imperfect decision is better than no decision. And so we, we have these challenges in front of us that have, have become who we are. And so this series is all about the very practical things, questions that we should be asking about how we discern God's best plan for our lives and find the divine direction that he has for us. So let's jump into it right now. And again, this is just practical, foundational, um, philosophical information, and it's very important. There's just two points today, so we'll get to it. Here's the first one. Write this down if you want to. God cares about who before do. When it comes to God's will, what does God really care about? What, he, what is he really interested in? What's the most important things to consider when trying to discern God's best plan. And here's the thing I want you to get. This is like the cornerstone. God cares about who you are before he cares about what you actually do. The common question that people ask with regard to God's will is, what does God want me to do? So it's the, about the what and the do. But God pushes back and says, wait a minute, that's not the first most important question. The first more, most important question is, who are you becoming? What kind of person are you? are you? Are you submitting to my work in your life so that you are becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? We're, we're back to this primary purpose of God for everyone's life everywhere, which is he wants us to be more like Jesus. And he's, he's committed to that. He's ferocious about that. He is dedicated to taking us step by step into that process of confirmation into the image of Jesus. He wants us to be transformed and become like him. And so the first question God wants us to ask is, who am I becoming? Look at our text today, verse 3. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. So you, so you note here that he's talking about character. He's talking about your personhood. He's not talking about, he's not talking about your career. You, this is the will of God for you that you be an accountant. You, know, you don't find that in the scripture. Or to be a missionary. It's not there. But rather you hear God talking about issues of the heart and character 
and the essence of the person that you are. The Greek word translated holy, God's will for, is for us to be holy, is the word agios. It's a simple word, pretty straightforward. It means to be separate from or to be different. In other words, God says, look, don't be conformed to the world. Don't embrace the world's values or the temporary trends in the world as your basis for your, your ethical practice, but rather, but rather be conformed to my image. So, so be holy, be holy. And so Jesus, when you see him talking in the gospels about the, the, this kind of subject, he never talks about vocation. He always talks about character. He always talks about calling. So it's who before do. What does God want me to do? A better question is, who does God want me to become? Now, I'm going to ask you to play along. I'm going to ask you a question in just a moment. I want you to play along, and I want you to respond to the question as, as positively as you can, because if you don't, you'll hurt my feelings. I'm telling you right up front, you've got to play along and be positive, okay? Otherwise, you can hurt me. Here's the question. How many of you believe it is God's will for me to be a pastor? Okay, that's about half. So that's not, that's not bad. I mean, maybe 51%. That's good. Uh, we're not voting today for my retention, by the way. It's not on the docket. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to argue that pastor is God's secondary purpose and will for my life. Maybe tertiary, not my primary. See, a pastor is what I do. Pastor is not what I am. Very important to have that distinction. If I preach a great sermon, if I preach a sermon that you just go, that's, that's just the greatest thing I've ever heard. That was so helpful. That was so wonderful. A great sermon. And I do that, but I'm mistreating my wife. I'm not in the will of God. I'm not in God's divine direction. Uh-uh. If, if I lead in some special, inspiring way, and, and encourages many people to embrace some kingdom initiative, but I'm mistreating my, my children or neglecting them. I'm not in God's will. Are you kidding? Not even close. What if I do some, some really great thing, gets a lot of attention, I mean, well, that's a big deal, but I'm not taking care of my own personal financial responsibilities, and I'm not paying my bills, I'm not responsible. I'm neglecting important issues like that, that re represent integrity. I'm not in God's will. I'm far from God's will. So how does, that, how does that apply to you? Well, should I date this person or not? That question comes up a lot. Uh, here's what I say to that. It doesn't matter who you date. It doesn't matter. Date the person that you think has integrity, who's serving Jesus, date that person. Do what God would call you to do as you're dating that person, as a person of integrity and purity. Uh, worry about who you are first. Be the right who when you're dating someone and serve Jesus there. Should I stay in this place or go to another place? Take another job. Doesn't matter where you are. Not initially, it doesn't matter. Uh, be faithful to Jesus and follow him wherever you are. If you're there, then be faithful, have integrity there. Should I major in business or elementary ed? Whatever you major in, make sure you're serving Jesus there. That's the most important thing. Before you think about the do in the future, think about the who you are in the present. Instead of just saying, what do you want me to do in the future, Jesus? 
Who do you want me to become in the present? Start with the who. Divine direction isn't, I know the perfect will of God for my life and every step between here and there. Divine direction implies that we're in a process. We're, we're pointed in the right direction and we're headed there. And we're, we're trying to be faithful each step of the way, careful first to examine the question of who I'm becoming, not so much what I'm doing. God's will is who before do. Now, let me just give you some assurance. It's the next uh, line there in your bulletin, and you can fill this out. If you're becoming the right who, then you will choose the right do. If you're becoming the right who, then you'll choose the right do. Well, it's easy for you to say, I don't know the right do. Trust me. If you'll become the kind of person that God wants you to be, he will get you in the right place at the right time doing the right things with the right people. He will. Your responsibility is the who. God's direction step by step will get you to the right do. Be confident in that. So that's the first point. God's interested in the who before the do. Here's the second point. We just have two. Write this down. God cares about why before what. Because motives, motives matter to God. Proverbs 16.2, you may think everything you do is right, but the Lord judges your motives. There's an old saying that there's two reasons why everybody does something. There's the reason we tell everybody, and then there's the real reason. Again, motives. A person came up to me uh, some years ago and said, you're a great pastor, a great leader. I've been looking, well, actually, to t tell you the truth, I've been looking my whole life for a church like this and a, and a leader like you with, with this kind of impact and vision. It's, it's really, it's, it's just an honor to be here. So thankful. God is so good. Now you hear that and you go, well, very discerning fellow. <laughs> That's the first impression. <laughs> and then over time, you know, this guy wants to get a little closer, a little closer, and then he finally popped the question. You know, God's been teaching me a lot of things, and I've learned a lot over the years, and and I have a lot to teach and to talk about. So could I like lead an adult group here at your church? And I said, well, maybe. Uh, let's sit down and talk about that. And one of the questions that I would ask under those circumstances is, uh, what if you wanted to teach on a particular subject or a particular way on a subject that I and our leadership team doesn't approve of? We'd say, don't go into that category. Or don't teach it that way. It's, not, it's just not, we're not comfortable with that. What would you respond? And the guy looked at me and he said, oh, well, I'd have, to, I'd have to obey God and teach what he was telling me to teach. And I said, okay, well, it's good to know that. You can't teach here, but you can maybe teach somewhere else that you're free to go to, but you won't be teaching here. Now, you say, well, that seems a little bit harsh. Here's my response. There are two reasons for doing something. What sounds good and the real reason. Psalm 39 contains a really powerful prayer. This is when King David was in some trouble and some sin, and he was trying to get out, and he was coming clean. And so he prayed, Search my heart, O God, and see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a powerful prayer. Search my heart, O God, and, and see if there's any offensive way in me. He said, That's a great prayer. 
Wow, what a cool prayer. I'm going to start praying that prayer. Heads up. You, you ask God to weigh in, search my heart, and reveal to me any offensiveness in my life? You better get ready to make your list. Because there's a lot of offensiveness in all of us. That will be a sobering life to go around praying that prayer all the time. But it is a powerful prayer. And it does get to the heart of the issue, doesn't it? It, it? it goes to the motive of why we do what we do. Here's the problem. It's almost impossible to get to the right place if you have the wrong motives. It's, it's almost impossible. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever met anyone who got to the right place with the wrong attitude, the wrong heart, the wrong motive, the wrong intention in all of it. So we need to examine our motives. Okay, I'm going to buy a new car. Well, ask the question, why? Why are you going to buy a new car? It's a good question. You know, I'm going to buy a new car because my old one is worn out and I need reliable transportation for my work and family, and so I'm going to buy it. Or is there another reason why you're buying the new car? So you just want to check your motives about that. And ask, ask, ask yourself if it's genuine, it's authentic, it's the, it's the right why behind it. Uh, when you're complimenting someone, is it because you're sincere in your compliment to them, or is it because you want them to think better of you? He said, man, that pastor is really paranoid. Even when people say nice things to him, he doesn't believe it. I, listen, I've just lived a while. And I know that why is more important than what. God cares about our motives. When you, when you post something on, on, your, on your Facebook or on another platform, you want to picture, uh, post a picture or post a story or some narrative about your life, Ask yourself why. Do I, do I want to post this because I want to share something meaningful with people who care, bring attention to the goodness of God and his faithfulness in my life? Or do you want someone else to think, wow, look at that. Look how cool. Look how pretty. Look how fit. Look how fun. What's the motive? Why before what? Who before do? Are you getting it? Are you getting it? This is all about your heart. This is all about your motives. This is all about your intention. In Colossians 3, here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, and whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do. So ask this question, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And Paul said, whatever you do, <laughs> whatever it is you're doing, whether you're entry-level worker or running the company, whether you're the student or the teacher in the classroom, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, what are we to do? We're to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let's hear it again. What, whatever you do, wherever you are, serve Christ there. Wherever you live, serve him there. Whoever you're dating, serve him there. You may say, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I'm neck deep in in laundry and, and, and poop. Well, here's what you do. You wash that laundry and clean that poop for the glory of Jesus. That's the cleanest laundry we've ever seen. That's the freshest baby butt that we have seen in a long time. I mean, you should put that butt on display. That's a clean baby butt. Amazing. You may be saying, well, I'm just a student, but I have aspirations one day. I'm going to do something big. Listen, be faithful when you're doing something small long before you expect to do something big. 
Serve Jesus where you are. Well, one day I'm going to be a missionary overseas. Great. How about this? Be a missionary in your biology class right now. Be a missionary in your dormitory right now. Be a missionary in your apartment right now. You're, you're not going to suddenly poof, become some special servant of God just because you take a student hat off and put on missionary hat. You're the same person. Be a missionary now, for Jesus' sake. Well, I'm just an entry-level fast food worker. I'm the fry guy. Listen, make the best fries that restaurant's ever seen. When people come into your restaurant, you want them going, I want fries. These are the best fries in town. I can't live without these fries. That's the guy you want to be. And they'll promote you to burger flipper. <laughs> and then you become the best burger flipper. People will come for miles to eat your burgers. See, it's not about God, what's that big thing out there? It's about serving Jesus right here. Because when you serve Jesus right here, it helps you get to the right there. Here's a big mistake, big mistake. It's a big mistake. People look at someone who's successful and they think, well, they must've made a few big decisions and that's what made him successful. No, 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 no. Shake that off, push that away. That is not true. That's, that's deception. That's not how it works. You see somebody who's faithful and, and faithfully making a difference for Jesus' sake in the world. Listen, these, these are people who have made countless decisions every day of their life, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, making decisions of selflessness and self-denial over time. Who before do? Why before what? And when, when we get those things right, then God will tend to lead us step by step to the right places. It's how you live your ordinary days that will determine whether you have special moments. Eugene Peterson said it this way, live your life in obedience to Christ, a long obedience in one direction. That's a strong thing, isn't it? A long obedience in one direction. Every day, making decisions that will tell your story in your tomorrows. Making the choices that are never easy. The most, the most important decisions of every day cost you something. But making those right decisions over a long period of time, that's how you end up in the right place, doing the right things. So many people have influenced my, my life. My dad influenced my life. He had very modest beginnings. He made a way in the world by working hard, you know, and having that kind of ethic and, and, and being devoted to his kids and that sort of thing. And then when he came to faith in Jesus, when he was in his, in his 40s, uh, he lived to 88. So he lived half of his life as a Christian person. And, and so the way my dad inspired me was with that ethic that I described, but also that once he started following Jesus, he never looked back. He never turned back. That's inspiring, isn't it? I mean, that's really helpful. And then a, a guy named George Wicks, the man who led me to Christ. He was a layman. He was an engineer for Eli Lilly. He actually took early retirement so he could spend more time winning people to Jesus. Uh, he personally led more people to Christ than anyone I ever met. 
And he taught me, he showed me what can happen through a life that is totally and humbly devoted to Jesus with a, with a hunger to see precious people find a meaningful relationship in Jesus Christ. That inspired me. His heart was right. His motives were good. George and Hannah Miley came into my life almost 30 years ago now, and, and they completely changed my paradigm for how a local church can be directly and sizably involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. This totally, totally warped my perspective on that, just, just transformed it and inspired me. And the things that we've done in Kazakhstan over the years are a direct result of that inspiration. It's just amazing. People living every day in an obedient, faithful way inspire the people around them. It's the why more than the what. It's who they are rather than what they do. So it's just a remarkable thing. And when I look back on my own life, these are the people who have influenced my life the most. And if you look at yours, you'll discover the same thing. It's not what those people did. It's who they were. It's why they were the way they were. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, and, and so this works. So write this down. Now, this is on your outline as well. If you're driven by the right why, if you're driven by the right why, God will lead you to the right what. Again, so many people say, what does God want me to do? Well, a better starting place is who does God want me to become? So someday, here's, here's, here's what Beth and I are experiencing right now. We're in a, a new season of life and, and our parents are passing. Our grandchildren now are coming of age. We're starting to think about our own mortality. I hope this isn't too morbid for you, but, but my prayer is that I will be in a bed when I die. I, don't, I just think laying in a bed would be the, a good place to die. And my, and my prayer, in addition to that, is Beth is still here. So she's there right beside me holding my hand. And the reason I pray for that is because I got this bad, bad notion, this bad idea that if, that if she goes first, it's not going to be pretty. I'm not, I, you should pray. Just pray with me. God, please let Greg die first. Please send, send him on first. It's better, seriously, because <laughs> it's not going to be good. And so we'll be there and we'll be holding hands. Let me, let me tell you what we won't be talking about. We won't be saying, remember when we were 26 and we started out in that little cornfield church or when we took the services to Delta High School or remember when we bought that old rundown car lot, you know, and transformed that or, or maybe when we started 180, our youth ministry, or when we first went to Kazakhstan, we won't be talking about any of that stuff. This one, it won't be there. I'm going to be holding her hand, and if I get that moment, here's what I'm going to be saying. Honey, let's, let me say this. I'm so proud of us that for these 50 or 60 years, we were faithful to each other. That I was faithful to one woman from the time I said, I will, and I do. Yeah. We'll think about our kids. Both of our boys are living for Jesus and they're doing great right now and hopefully they'll still be doing well then. And we'll talk about then how proud we are and how thankful we are. And we'll think about you, the people we've helped. And some of you will come to mind because 
your life has been changed by the power of the gospel. And we'll be thankful. Let me tell you what we'll think about. A lot of stuff that none of you know about. The private decisions, the sacrifices, the private pain. And the reason we'll talk about and think about those things is because we never set out to do the do. That wasn't the goal, still not the goal. We knelt by our bed when we, when we learned that we were moving to Muncie, Indiana, almost 40 years ago. We knelt by our bed and we said, God, we're going to give you our very best. We meant it. We're going we're to try to be who you want us to be. And we're going to try to keep the why ahead of the what. And we prayed a simple prayer, Lord, we're going to give you our best. Our prayer is that you'll be with us. If you'll just be with us, that's all we ask. I'll think about the countless stories that matter to me more than the public victories. Like the night I went home and we had just started our first phase here on this campus and long hours, you know, it was ministry stuff during the day and construction stuff in the evening and, and I wasn't getting home till nine o'clock or so every night. And our oldest son, Aaron, was seven or eight years old at the time. And I went home one night, it was about nine o'clock and I walked in the living room. He walked right over to me, just as sober and sincere as he could be. And he reached up and he grabbed my, my shirt like this and he looked up at me and he said, Dad, he said, are you ever gonna be home earlier in the evening so we can play? And so what I'll remember when I'm laying in that bed is moments like that, that I decided to change my ways and I did. And I decided that I was gonna get home earlier and I did. And I decided that I would never miss a, an important event in the life of one of our kids and I didn't. Both of our boys played high school basketball, for example, and they had Saturday night games. Well, we have Saturday night church. And there were Saturday nights when there was a road game that I skipped church. And the nights we had home games, I discovered that I could actually, if I preached at the very beginning of the service, I could jump in the car, preach, you know, and leave the rest of the, you guys can sing and take up the offering later. So I would preach first, and then I'd jump in the car and make it to the game. Because that was the priority, and I said it out loud. I said, listen, my son is more important to me than you are. So they get first place. That's the stuff I'll remember. Yeah. And I think about the who before the do and the why before the what, because that's what matters to God, and that's what will matter to us in a moment like that, and that's what will matter to you. Think about Jesus. Think about him. I mean, how did he do what he did? I mean, think about this. I mean, he comes to the earth and he's loving everybody and he's, he's offering hope and he's, and he's come not to be served. He's the Lord of the universe, but he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all of us. And he did it. He went all the way to the cross. And even as he suffered on the cross, he could have summoned the angels of heaven to annihilate the human race. Why didn't he do that? He didn't. Even though all he did was love people, he was, he was hated and brutalized and tortured and murdered for the sins of the world. And let me just say, the only reason Jesus was able to do that were these two things. He knew who he was and he knew why he came. He knew who he was and why he came. 
And so Jesus, as it turns out, models for us what an authentic life looks like with the right priorities and the right incentive and the right attitude and the right motive. And here we are with the opportunity to get these values in place. I want to be the person who God wants me to be before I worry myself with the what I should do. And I want to do it with the right motives, with the right heart, with the right devotion, so that God can help me. Let me put this last statement on the screen. When you get the who right, you'll do more. When you get the why right, the what has power. Have an ear for that, friends. Have an ear for it. Can you hear it? It's true. When you get the who right, you'll actually do more. And if you get the why right, God's blessing and favor and power will come along the what. Did you get it? Answers, I got it. Did you get it? Did you get it? Who before do? Why before what? We're going to receive the meal this morning with these hundreds of millions around the world. And let me just share the good news. Jesus Christ came to this earth, offered his life as a sacrificial gift for the atonement of sins. He died in your place and my place. He gave his life. And so now when we gather together at this table for this meal, we hear the invitation, whosoever will may come. Jesus died for everyone. He died for you. He invites you to his table to partake in a symbolic way of his life and his death. There is, a, there is a condition. There is a qualifier. And the condition is simply this, that if you come to this table, this sacred table, to this holy place, you have to sincerely acknowledge what Jesus has done for you. Because this is the deal. He died for you. He gave his life for you and me. And in return, when we come to his table, the implication is we now give our life for him. And so the New Testament teaches us that when we come to the table, we have to do so with a sincere heart. We sincerely want to follow Jesus. We're not perfect. We, we fail often. We stumble and fall. But in my heart, I really want to know God and I want to serve him. And if you're sincere about that, you're welcome to the table. If you sincerely repent of your sins and wish to serve and honor God with your life, you're welcome to the table. But, but here's what. This isn't, this isn't criticism. This isn't judgment. This is just where the qualifier is. If you're not sincere about that, then this meal is really not for you. You're just not there yet. You're not ready. And that's okay. God will be patient with you. So that's the invitation. Because God wants everyone to the table. He's in, he wants everyone included. He doesn't want anyone left out. He, he, he loves us all, and he invites us all to the table. And you're welcome to come. But if it's not the right time because of those circumstances, it's okay if you don't come. So let's pause and be in this attitude of prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word, which helps us and reminds us of the hope we have in Christ. 
Today, I pray for us as we are in the process of understanding how best to follow your direction in our lives. And so as we take this moment to reflect in prayer, I wonder how many of you are here today and you say, look, I'm a follower of Jesus and I I have many decisions to make. And today I want to refocus who I am rather than what I plan to do. And I want to refocus the why of what I'm going to do rather than the what. It's so easy and tempting to ask, what do you want me to do, God? But today we want to stop and pause and say first, who do you want us to become? If that's your prayer this morning, would you just lift your hand and say, yeah, I'm in the process of decisions. Lord, by God's grace, I want to be who he wants me to be and to walk according to the why. God, I pray that we would resist the temptation to focus on the vocation and not our character and that we would get the who right before you. And if there's sin in our lives or there's a lack of the fruit of the Spirit, we pray for your healing. We pray for your mercy and your forgiveness. We ask that you would fill us and cultivate in us your fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, discipline. Before we focus on the what, that the motives would be right, that we would live for you in all that we do. I pray, God, that you would do life-transforming work in our hearts today. Transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. And then may you take us in his direction, divine direction, step by step, becoming closer to him, becoming like him. In Jesus' name.